It is Thursday, September 17th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to our Week 2 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. Jared Smola is out for a few days getting used to becoming a daddy for the first time. We're going to welcome him back tomorrow for the DFS Podcast, but I didn't want to leave you guys hanging for Week 2, so I'm going to fly solo today. I'm going to preview the Week 2 NFL action. I'm not going to spend a whole hour and a half breaking down all of the games like Jared and I did last week, like we will other times. Instead, I'm going to hit on some of the key injuries in case you lost somebody in week one, in case you might be missing somebody in week two. Uh, We'll look at some key matchups. We'll look at some potential fill-ins so that we can get our roster set, our lineup set for week two. If you want to hit me with questions during the live stream, I can try to get to more of those than we usually do during these weekly preview podcasts. Uh, And if you're a DS insider and I give you an answer here that substantially differs from what you might find on the website in the rankings, then just know that I'm making this all up as I go. And you should probably trust what's on the site instead. Injuries first, and there are some big ones this week. Chris Godwin, of course, has a concussion. He took a shot to the head Sunday in the game against the Saints, downplayed it afterward when he was talking to reporters. But then Wednesday, symptoms arose And he has since been placed in the concussion protocol. So we're going to see what his situation is. Dr. David Chow, actually, just this morning, uh, he posted an article that I I found this morning and put in Shark Bite. So you can read his full quote there, but said that it's it's more worrisome when the symptoms show up later. Obviously, the later a player starts in the concussion protocol, the more likely it is to be delayed that he makes his way out of the protocol. He gets clearance from a neurologist to get out of the protocol. So we're working with that delay. Dr. Chow also said that in his experience, late arriving symptoms are often, quote, often associated with multi-week absences before clearance. So we have to not only worry about Chris Godwin for this Sunday, we've got to worry about Chris Godwin going forward. So make sure that you have an option in case Chris Godwin is not in your lineup. You should expect to not have Chris Godwin for week two and make sure that you have somebody ready to go. Scotty Miller, his teammate, is an option and should be picked up off of pretty much all waivers in leagues of 12 plus teams, maybe even some deeper 10 team leagues. Scotty Miller had five catches for 73 yards on six targets at New Orleans in week one. So we already know that he can do some stuff even when Godwin and Mike Evans are on the field. Uh, The Panthers, meanwhile, let Derek Carr complete 73% of his passes in the opener. Carr averaged nearly eight yards per pass attempt in that game. And he put up a 107.5 passer rating. So we know that the Panthers are generous in the passing game. We know that Tom Brady's all right at this football thing. So I think Scotty Miller's a pretty solid bet for week two. Comparable to Deshaun Jackson, I would say, as a week two lineup bet. And that might not sound great after Deshaun Jackson probably let you down if you used him in week one. But Deshaun Jackson was a seven target guy. His two catches, I think, went for 19 and I believe 26. I don't have those in front of me. But, you know, somebody who can get downfield, somebody who's a good bet for targets. I think that's Scotty Miller this week. And Scotty Miller might even be a safer bet than Deshaun Jackson for week two. So, again, pick up Scotty Miller if he's available. Consider starting him this week. We'll see where he settles in in the Draft Sharks rankings. I wouldn't be surprised if he's challenging for a top 36 spot by the time we get our uh, rankings set for the week. George Kittle is dealing with a knee injury this week. Uh, According to Kyle Shanahan, he's, quote, battling a knee injury. So we'll see about that. Kittle, of course, got that knee injury in the game against Arizona. He said the next day that his knee felt amazing. That's George Kittle. I don't think we can trust a lot of his quotes, but 
Then we found out that George Kittle's not expected to practice at all this week. We'll watch the reports to see whether he actually does sit out of all these practices. That also doesn't mean that he's not going to play. I mean, the team said that even though he's not expected to practice, they're hopeful that he's going to play. Kyle Shanahan specifically said that George Kittle is one guy they're okay with playing if he does, even if he sits out practice all week, as long as he gets to Sunday, he says he's ready, and the doctors say he's okay to go. Kyle Shanahan said they're fine putting him out there without any practice time. So an active George Kittle, regardless of what his practice participation is this week, an active George Kittle's in your lineups. If George Kittle's not active, obviously you're going to need somebody else. So right now we need to set up for that possibility. We need to make sure we have tight end insurance on the roster. We'll get to some of those options later in this show. I'll say right now, I'm not really high on the idea of Jordan Reed as the fill-in. You know, it could work. They're at the Jets. The Jets have nothing scary for the tight end matchup. And Jordan Reed has been good. It's been a while since Jordan Reed was good, though. So I'm a little bit hesitant to trust him in the role. I think he could probably find a better option. Again, we'll talk about some of those in a little bit. Elsewhere on the injury front, Michael Thomas. We haven't gotten a practice report on him yet because the Saints are playing Monday night. So we don't know for sure that he's out, but it sure seems like Michael Thomas is at least going to miss a game on his high ankle sprain. And it it seems like he's trending toward missing multiple games. So um, we're going to have to watch Michael Michael Thomas's situation. We'll assume that we're not going to have him for week two. We'll make plans as though we need to start somebody else in that wide receiver slot. Traquan Smith becomes a real option, at least in wide receiver four range this week. The targets are available. He has flashed in the past, so it wouldn't be a total projection. Traquan Smith has also let us down, so... I don't want to overplay him as an option right away. And we've also seen the Saints in recent seasons not be afraid to go run heavy. So I would expect that without Michael Thomas, the Saints will lean a bit more toward the run, perhaps a lot more toward the run, as they have at times over the past few seasons. Emmanuel Sanders looks like a borderline wide receiver, too, to me this week. They do play at Las Vegas in Week 2 on Monday night. The Raiders, nothing scary in coverage, especially for the Saints. So I would not hesitate to use Emmanuel Sanders I think there's upside to Jared Cook for that tight end spot. There's a tight end for you in case you're without George Kittle or potentially without George Kittle. Jared Cook's probably not available on a lot of waivers this week, but uh, an upside option if he's in your lineup and maybe in some shallower leagues, he is available. Again, I think Alvin Kamara and the run game has some touch upside, some volume upside with the Michael Thomas situation as well. Le'Veon Bell is out at least three games with his hamstring injury. He went on IR. You know, the goofy IR situation this year means that could be as few as three games. So we'll see how long. In Le'Veon Bell's absence, avoid the Jets' backfield. I guess Frank Gore would be the first guy I would look at if I'm looking at any of them. But I'd have to be in rough shape to be considering a Jets running back, especially against San Francisco this week. Frank Gore, Josh Adams, Kalen Balaj. I mean, it's just a situation to avoid, especially since we don't even know that Frank Gore is going to take on the entire load from Le'Veon Bell. And certainly nobody that fills in is going to be the receiving option that Le'Veon Bell is. So again, avoid if you can, Frank Gore if you can't avoid. Jack Doyle is another injury to watch at tight end. No practice for him Wednesday. He was listed with both knee and ankle issues. I don't know how serious it is. It didn't seem to impact his week one availability. He played 73% of the snaps in that game. So, you know, we'll watch him. We'll see about his status Thursday and Friday. Jack Doyle's not a strong play this week anyway, though. Facing the Vikings, The Vikings are strong at linebacker. They're strong at safety. They've been tough on tight end scoring. So it's not a good spot for Jack Doyle's upside anyway. So I wouldn't worry too much about him. You know, if Jack Doyle is your top option, we'll watch his status. We'll obviously have it updated either way on DraftSharks.com this week. So if you are counting on Doyle, 
you know, we'll have the updates for you as we go. At wide receiver, no practice for Kenny Galladay again on Wednesday. He, of course, has a hamstring injury that cost him week one. So we're going to have to watch his status this week. Obviously, you know, Wednesday doesn't tell us too much, but it would have been more encouraging if Kenny Galladay started with some level of activity. He did reportedly have his helmet on during practice. I don't know if he's just scared of getting hit by a football or if that's a sign that he's close and they were just being cautious on Wednesday. Again, we'll see. We'll see about Galladay's participation Thursday and Friday and, of course, into the weekend. The Steelers had Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster both sitting out of Wednesday's practice. I'm going to guess that that's the team erring on the side of caution with both players. I mean, that was just two days after they played a Monday night road game at the Giants. I don't expect it to be anything serious. Neither of them seem to be limited on Monday night. So again, we'll check their statuses Thursday and Friday. We'll assume that they're available, but we'll certainly update either way. Denver on the other side of the Sunday matchup is down A.J. Bouye at cornerback. So there's nothing scary in the Denver secondary for this matchup for Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster, assuming that they're ready to go in that game. I think they're both fairly easy starts against Denver at their appropriate levels, of course. No practice for James Conner either on Wednesday, which is not a surprise after he suffered an ankle sprain in Monday night's game. And of course, his situation is obviously a lot more worrisome because Conner barely played in that Monday night game after suffering the ankle injury. And then when he went down, Benny Snell stepped up and delivered 113 rushing yards. So there's room for Pittsburgh to even be more cautious than they might otherwise be with James Conner on a sprained ankle. So it would be tough for me to play even an active James Conner against Denver this week. I kind of hope that he's just out so we don't have to make those decisions and we can actually just decide whether to start Benny Snell, you know, versus our other options without having to guess on how many carries he gets. If we do have an active James Conner, it's going to be tough for me to start Benny Snell there. So that's going to be a situation we have to watch into the weekend and probably up until Sunday morning before we're deciding what we're doing with whoever's active in that situation. If we have both guys active, for example, I mean, I think we're talking about similar assets to Adrian Peterson in terms of deciding who's in our lineup. I would feel much more comfortable about Malcolm, Malcolm Brown, for example, than either Steelers running back. If they're both active against Denver, I'd play Malcolm Brown against the Eagles before them. James Robinson, Jacksonville, another one I would probably play over both Pittsburgh running backs, assuming that they're both active. But we'll track the situation and see what happens. Similar deal to the Pittsburgh wideouts with Corey Davis and A.J. Brown in Tennessee. Davis sat out Wednesday's practice with a hamstring issue. He also did so last Wednesday. Uh, I'm sorry, last Thursday, I guess it was. And then he put in full practices Friday and Saturday, played in the Monday night game, went over 100 yards. So I don't think that we need to worry about Corey Davis right now. We'll watch Thursday and Friday to make sure he's back to practice and ready to be an option. But I think that we should expect that Corey Davis will be ready to play because he didn't look limited by the hamstring Monday night in Denver. A.J. Brown, limited Wednesday, listed with a knee. If he took part at all on Wednesday, two days after a late Monday night game, the fact that A.J. Brown was participating at all Wednesday tells me we shouldn't worry about him. So plan to have A.J. Brown available for this matchup with Jacksonville. Be an interesting matchup to see if he gets a lot of C.J. Henderson in coverage. C.J. Henderson, the rookie cornerback for Jacksonville, that had a very nice week one. Brian Baldinger called him the most impressive uh, rookie defensive player that he saw on tape all week. So that could be a good matchup to watch in that game. And, you know, maybe if they're focused on stopping A.J. Brown like Denver was, perhaps we see a lot more action for Corey Davis again, like we did in that Monday night game. Golden Tate was still limited Wednesday with his hamstring injury. That's how he spent last week. He was a limited practice participant in every every practice leading up to Monday night. Did not play against the Steelers. So we're going to have to watch Golden Tate all week this week, probably into the weekend. 
until we see whether we're going to have him available for that game at Chicago. Jamison Crowder was limited Wednesday, also with a hamstring issue. I'm not going to worry about that one. I mean, I think if it were a significant injury that Crowder would have been sitting out completely on Wednesday. So, you know, similar to AJ Brown, the fact that Crowder was practicing at all tells me that we should expect he'll be fine. We'll track it, of course. Check Shark Bites all week. We'll be updating that stuff. Cortland Sutton was a limited practice participant Wednesday with his shoulder injury. That's an encouraging sign because Cortland Sutton missed Monday night's game against Tennessee um, after injuring that shoulder last week. So the fact that he was practicing at all on Wednesday seems to have him trending toward playing this Sunday. They are uh, Denver is at Pittsburgh. So I would consider not playing Sutton anyway. You know, not only does he have a tough matchup with the Steelers, but he's also coming off that shoulder and we don't we haven't seen him yet since he injured that shoulder to know how close to full strength, uh, how close to full usage Cortland Sutton's going to be. So we'll watch the reports leading up to the weekend, but I would still downgrade Cortland Sutton versus where I would usually have him for that shoulder injury this week at Pittsburgh. On the IDP side, since Jared's not around to stop me from doing it, I'm going to mention injuries there. uh, Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano at linebacker for Buffalo. Both of those guys look like they could be in danger of missing Sunday's game against Miami. Tremaine Edmonds has a shoulder injury. Matt Milano has a hamstring injury. They both left last week's game early. They both missed practice Wednesday. So I'll be tracking those through the week to see if Edmonds and or Milano returns to the field. If either or both guy misses, uh, AJ Klein, who is a strong side starter, would become a full-time linebacker and become an IDP option in that case. He played more than two-thirds of the snaps in the win over the Jets last weekend. So he would probably be close to a 100% playing time guy if either or both of those guys is out. So I think AJ Klein's worth picking up in IDP leagues of moderate depth. I put in a claim in on Klein in one fairly deep IDP league this morning, and I'll probably start him if I get him. I'm not going to tell my league mates in case they're watching which uh, league that is or who I would play him over, but know that I'm considering starting AJ Klein this week. We'll finish up the injury section with some positive news. Miles Sanders put in a full practice Wednesday, so not just back on the field, but practicing in full. I say we go ahead and fire up Miles Sanders for week two against the Rams. I know that the offensive line was bad against Washington. I know that they get Aaron Donald this week. I know that the Rams played the Cowboys offense tough. I don't care. Uh, We've been waiting for Miles Sanders. We were drafting him late in round one and at least by the middle of round two. The Eagles are waiting for him. Boston Scott and Corey Clement did basically nothing in Miles Sanders' absence against Washington. I say fire up Miles Sanders. Expect at least close to normal usage. And it'll help that the Eagles should get right tackle Lane Johnson back as well. He put in a full practice on Wednesday also after missing week one. So we should get at least a better offensive line in week two than we got in week one. Lane Johnson, of course, a key starter on that group. So we'll look for better performance there and certainly get Miles Sanders into most fantasy lineups. On from the injuries now, let's talk about some situations. We'll start with the Detroit backfield because that was kind of a muddle and a surprising leader in week one. It was Adrian Peterson emerging for 14 carries, 93 yards. And this week, Daryl Bevel has called that situation, basically called it a hot hand. He at least said that that will factor into who they play in a given week. The hot hand was clearly Peterson's in the opener. 14 carries, 93 yards, as I mentioned. Carryon Johnson and DeAndre Swift combined for just 22 rushing yards on 10 carries. So the Lions had little reason to go away from Adrian Peterson in that one. And Peterson also added three catches on his only three targets and beat DeAndre Swift in receiving yards. I mean, Swift caught three balls on five targets himself, had the one drop heard around the league at the end of that game. I don't think that's going to significantly impact Swift's usage going forward. 
I think he'll stay involved. But again, Peterson had a very nice week one. I think we have to head into week two expecting Peterson to lead that backfield and carries. The receiving backs could be important in this game against Green Bay after the Packers, I mean, put a surprising amount of offense on the Vikings on the road last week. We know that they can apparently throw the ball and score points, and Detroit has nothing scary for their offense. So if Green Bay scores at a similar pace this week, it could take the running game out of the Detroit offense even a little bit more and make all these running backs a little bit less attractive. So I'm not excited to use any of them. There's upside to DeAndre Swift, I think, if they need that receiving back, you know, with some tough corners in the Green Bay defense, with a tough pass rush, and with shaky linebackers among the Packers. After he had just opportunities in the opener, though, I'm going to have a tough time putting DeAndre Swift into a starting lineup, even though he scored a touchdown and should have had a second touchdown. I think he's still he he's still a flyer at best this week until we see something change uh, in that backfield usage. The Baltimore backfield could be frustrating for a while. It was J.K. Dobbins scoring two rushing touchdowns to zero for Mark Ingram in the opener. Um, Dobbins scored on both of his carries inside the 10. Ingram also got a, a carry inside the 10, though. And on each of the drives where those guys got those carries near the goal line, the other guy had been in shortly before that on the drive. So they're not alternating drives. They're not alternating situations. It's not like J.K. Dobbins is the goal line back. They're kind of working interchangeably at this point. And offensive coordinator Greg Roman actually said to ESPN's Jamison Hensley either today or yesterday, there's no exact science there. It'll be different every week. We like to keep people guessing. Obviously, that makes sense if you're the offensive coordinator. It makes sense for the Baltimore Ravens. It does not help us fantasy owners who have to decide who we're starting. If you're wondering who to play between J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram this week, it's a toss-up. I'm guessing, you're guessing, Greg Roman wants us to be guessing. Dobbins did play two more total snaps than Mark Ingram last week. He also ran eight more pass routes. I believe that was 15 to seven was the count there. So um, that could be significant. You know, if that continues and Dobbins spends more time on the field in those passing situations than Ingram, then he's going to be the guy to lean on if Ingram is not the clear goal line leader between the two. Again, it's one week. Maybe it'll be different this week. Greg Roman wants to keep us guessing. So we'll have to track that. If you're deciding between them in one particular lineup, it's going to be a coin flip, honestly. I mean, I could tell you one way or the other, but there's nothing pointing to either J.K. Dobbins or Mark Ingram over the other one. On the plus side, we at least know that they're both in an upside situation. And it's possible that both guys score in the same game in that offense. And from John Doherty on uh, Facebook, since we're talking about this Baltimore situation, he asks in a flex spot, J.K. Dobbins or Will Fuller, if it's PPR, I would play Will Fuller. If it's non PP, if it's half PPR, I would play Will Fuller. If it's non PPR, that would be tougher, but I think I would still have to lean Will Fuller because we can't count on normally you'd say the running back is a better bet for touches, but we don't know that between J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram versus Will Fuller. We know that Will Fuller is the lead Houston wide receiver. We know that the other two guys are splitting work. So without being sure that the running back is a better bet for touches, I say we just go for Will Fuller, albeit in a difficult matchup uh, for Houston against Baltimore this week. The Colts backfield is next on my list. And Jonathan Taylor is going to be the pick versus most running backs this week if you're making a decision for your lineup. He didn't have a whole lot on the ground last week against Jacksonville. The Jaguars played solidly against the run, but he's obviously the lead ball carrier now that Marlon Mack is done for the season. And we all know that Jonathan Taylor is a special talent. I mean, 
We'll see how long it takes for that to show up. But the talent's there. Now the opportunity is there already. And Minnesota was not close to what we thought it might be on defense last week against Green Bay. So I don't think we head into week two assuming that Minnesota is a difficult matchup for Indianapolis. We also saw Jonathan Taylor do more in the passing game than many expected. Six catches right out of the gate. You know, Naheem Hines, I would bet that I would bet that Naheem Hines remains the target leader in the Colts backfield going forward, but we at least see that there's enough there for Jonathan Taylor. I think we got more volume than we'll get most weeks in week one for Colts running backs in the passing game, but Phillip Rivers is obviously going to improve that overall in general versus what uh, Jacoby Brissett did for Colts running backs last week. So Jonathan Taylor is going to be a starter in most cases. He's inside our top 20 on draftsharks.com right now. I have a feeling he might even move up a few more spots as we get Jared back into the fold and as we all um, make sure that all the players are set where we want them for week two. I think Jonathan Taylor will move up even a little higher than he is right now. If you're making decisions tonight, I would start Nick Chubb. I would start Joe Mixon over Jonathan Taylor. I would not start Kareem Hunt over Jonathan Taylor. So um, that's where he's at for now. And again, we'll make sure that those rankings are set through the weekend. So make sure you check before you get your lineup set. Naheem Hines is the other candidate in that backfield. And I, I, I think he's still kind of driving a little bit of irrationality for uh, fantasy owners. Two touchdowns in week one certainly did not help us, you know, properly see what's going on, what we can expect with him. Uh, eight catches didn't help either. I think both of those are going to finish the season among his higher totals uh, for the year in any given week. And all the talk on the Heem Hines seems to focus around whether he is Austin Eckler. I think we need to get rid of that as the comparison. Austin Eckler from last season being Naheem Hines this year. Now, it's not unprecedented uh, for that kind of production to happen with Phillip Rivers here. We saw it with Eckler last year, and we also saw it back in 2015 with Danny Woodhead in San Diego then. Danny Woodhead finished RB3 in PPR that season. He finished RB12 in non-PPR, and he did so on 97 carries and 81 catches. Danny Woodhead. Danny Woodhead scored nine total touchdowns that season. So we've actually seen this a couple of times. And the other significance besides Phillip Rivers being the quarterback there is that Frank Reich, the current Colts head coach, was the offensive coordinator of that Chargers team. So we know what the upside is. Does Naheem Hines have a ceiling into that range? Sure. I mean, we can say that after seeing both Woodhead and Austin Eckler finish as top five PPR running backs on less than 150 carries. Now, expecting ceiling is never the way to go. We, we like Naheem Hines because the ceiling is now that attractive. But we need to set our expectations, I think, in more like the range of James White, Tariq Cohen, Austin Eckler of 2018, where he was RB25 in 14 games. If we can set it there and say, yeah, Naheem Hines is now a top 30 running back, that's fair. I think Naheem Hines certainly has the potential to be a top 24 running back any given week in PPR. But if we can expect that and just be delighted when we get, you know, last year's Austin Eckler numbers from him, then that's a fine way to go. Just make sure that you're, you're being rational and not expecting a top five fantasy season from Naheem Hines. That's going to do it for the backfield situations. We're going to move on to some wide receiver matchups. Before we do that, though, I have another question from Mike Gallagher on Facebook. He asks Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, or Miles Sanders at running back this week. I would play Miles Sanders among those three guys because of the two sharing the job in Indy and because Miles Sanders owning the job in Philadelphia. It's definitely close between Sanders and Taylor. And I would say check back 
over the weekend to see where we're landing as a staff on Sanders versus Taylor. The, the complication, of course, is Miles Sanders coming off a hamstring injury. He's full practice again Wednesday, like we said. So I'd like to believe that he's at full health, but we don't know that for sure. We'll keep watching reports on him into the weekend. And we also don't know for sure what his usage is going to be in that game against the Rams. So it's very close for me between Taylor and Sanders. I would play either of those guys over Naheem Hines because I think they're better bets for touches and upside. But, you know, again, check over the weekend just to make sure the lean between Taylor and Sanders as we talk about it as a group and make sure that it's set. On to the wide receiver matchups. I just mentioned the Colts' backfield being in a solid situation against Minnesota this week. The wide receivers are apparently in a terrific situation after Green Bay, again, hung those surprising numbers on the Vikings in week one. Now it's T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell going against that Vikings secondary. And, I mean, if MVS and Alan Lazard can put up numbers, if Devontae Adams can get all of the numbers in addition to those guys producing, then you have to like T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell in this matchup. I think there's room for both of those guys to deliver strong upside against Minnesota. I think they're both very easy starters at this point at their appropriate levels, of course. Packers passing game from that game against Minnesota that I mentioned, obviously way better in week one than I was expecting. Aaron Rodgers had been, had previously been terrible in Minnesota, terrible to you know okay at best in Minnesota. He was awesome in week one. His receivers delivered. So they apparently at least have enough to do it against questionable defenses. And I think that's what we'll call Minnesota until we see otherwise, or at least get more info. The Packers this week are back home. They're facing Detroit. Detroit certainly has nothing scary in its secondary right now, especially at the cornerback spots. Now, if you're deciding between Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez Scantling, Lazard did edge uh, MVS in both playing time and routes run last week. So if you have to decide between the two Packers receivers, I would lean Alan Lazard as the safer bet. I think they're both in play after what we saw last week, and clearly there's room for both to produce. Don't be surprised, though, if we get less than what we got from that passing game last week because no matter what the matchup is, we're just not usually going to get results that big uh, from an entire passing game in any given week. The Dallas passing game was somewhat quiet at the Rams on Sunday night. They get the Falcons secondary this week that really allowed Seattle to do pretty much whatever it wanted to do in week one. And now, of course, Blake Jarwin is not in the mix anymore after he tore his ACL under the weight of my expectations in week one. So that only helps the situation for all of the Dallas wideouts. They all played plenty last week. The week one routes among 48 Dak Prescott dropbacks. We had 46 routes for Michael Gallup. 46 for Amari Cooper and 42 for CeeDee Lamb. So again, they're all heavily involved. They're all, they're all on the field nearly all the time when Dallas is throwing the ball. As far as who was in the slot, and this is something we were wondering heading into week one, it was almost entirely CeeDee Lamb in week one. 92.5% of his snaps came in the slot, according to Pro Football Focus in week one. So it looks like CeeDee Lamb is their slot receiver. We'll see if that changes at all. Um, as we move forward, if it's the kind of thing that that changes by week or by matchup or whatever. Uh, Amari Cooper, though, just 16% of his snaps in the slot in week one, though. So for now, we're going to assume that CeeDee Lamb is the primary slot receiver. And it might not matter against Atlanta. There's no worrisome matchup among Falcons corners this week. Last year, the Falcons might have been tougher against the slot than against the outside receivers when they had DeMonte Kazee working as their slot corner before turning him into a full-time safety. They did that out of necessity last year after they had injuries there. He stayed there this year, and in week one, he was one of their three safeties, but he played the entire time 
as a deep guy. So with Kazee not covering the slot receiver, there's no scary individual matchup for the Dallas wideouts. I think they are all in play. I think they're all at least top 40 options among wideouts this week. And I would feel comfy about any of them in my lineup. Tight ends to target. As we mentioned, the um, George Kittle situation earlier, you might be looking for somebody this week. And I'll get to some more of the questions that are popping up in the chat now after we get through this section. But Logan Thomas should have been added in most leagues of 12-plus teams this week. He led Washington in targets in week one. Didn't do anything splashy, but he caught four four of his targets, 37 yards, scored their lone touchdown, their lone receiving touchdown. So I think Logan Thomas is worth owning at this point. I, certainly not saying that he that it's a given he produces for fantasy owners the rest of the way. But for now, we can assume that he will get some targets until we get more data to, to um, digest here and decide what his role is going to be and what his outlook is. And this week he gets Arizona, which spent last year as one of the greatest tight end scoring matchups ever. We don't know really what they're going to look like yet this year. Of course, George Kittle had that knee injury last week, so we didn't really get a full look at this year's Cardinals versus tight ends. We're going to go ahead and assume for now, though, that they didn't turn into tight end beaters. So we'll take a shot on Logan Thomas as a fill-in tight end. He's just outside the top 12 in our Draft Sharks rankings this week, but close enough to certainly be an option if you end up not having George Kittle available or if you lost Blake Jarwin, for example, last week, if you're looking for somebody. Eric Ebron's another guy that has been out there on waiver wires this week, even after some of the waiver runs have passed in leagues that I play in, at least in the you know leagues of 12 plus teams. So Eric Ebron was quiet against the Giants. Pittsburgh has lots of options. He's going to have quiet weeks. That doesn't worry me. He played just two more snaps than Vance McDonald on Monday night, but Eric Ebron ran eight more routes than McDonald did 24 to 16. That put him on the field for 67% of Ben Roethlisberger's dropbacks. So that was one route fewer than James Washington, who was Pittsburgh's number three receiver for that game, just to put it in context. So Eric Ebron is basically operated as the fourth wideout for Pittsburgh in that game, the number one pass catching tight end. I will take that in the offense that they have going right now. I Ben Roethlisberger's elbow looked as good as we thought and as, as we heard through camp, it looked that good in week one. So I think there's big potential every week to the Pittsburgh passing game. And I'm going to go ahead and use Eric Ebron this week. If I'm looking for like an outside the top 12 tight end, I picked him up in leagues this week where I lost Blake Jarwin, even as my reserve Jared cooks an easy starter this week. I know he's probably not available on many waiver wires this week, but he might be available in some shallower leagues worth a pickup big upside as long as Michael Thomas is out. And again, it looks like that's probably going to at least be the case this week. So fire up Jared Cook. He's inside our top 10 in our draft strikes rankings. I also say go back to Hayden Hurst, despite his quiet week one. I I was expecting a quiet week one from Hayden Hurst. Played against Seattle. I think Seattle could wind up emerging as one of the toughest scoring matchups for tight ends all season this year. They were tougher on tight end scoring Two of the past three years, and even last year, they were tougher than their overall numbers say. They were much tougher on a per-target basis. They then traded for Jamal Adams, who was a tight end stopper with the Jets. Quandre Diggs is a starter this year after he missed most of last year after arriving in a trade with Detroit. And they also have a nickelback in Marquise Blair that they're excited about. So there's there's plenty going on in Seattle. I would not be surprised if they proved to be a tough tight end matchup all year. And at least Hayden Hurst, even though he only had three catches on five targets, one of his catches was tremendous in that first quarter, a diving catch downfield. So he's in a good spot for volume. It's going to be a good spot all year for volume. I say fire up Hayden Hurst again. Evan Ingram, same deal. I mean, seven targets, only caught two of them against the Steelers, only had nine yards, but 
the Steelers are probably going to remain one of the toughest tight end matchups in the league. They were last year. There's no reason to believe that they won't be this year. It might be the toughest matchup that Evan Ingram faces all season. So don't look at Evan Ingram's week one and say, oh, this guy's letting me down again. I'm not playing him in week two and then make a mistake and watch him score points against the Bears. If he's your number one tight end, don't reach too far. He's not somebody that I would start Logan Thomas over this week, for example. So go back to Evan Ingram. Now, let's tackle the rest of the questions that have come up before we wrap this thing up. First one from Travis Zuschlag on Facebook. His league is super flex, so you start two quarterbacks. Wondering about Jared Goff or Tyrod Taylor this week. Other quarterback is Russell Wilson. Obviously, Russell Wilson is in the lineup. So the question is, Jared Goff or Tyrod Taylor this week? And it would have been a tough question for me last week, but Tyrod did not fare well in his first game. So I'm going to go with the guy that's a little bit shorter bet for at least decent play. I'm going to play Jared Goff this week, especially against Philly, which allowed Washington to score. I know Dwayne Haskins didn't have a big day, but it's Dwayne Haskins. So I think Jared Goff has enough around him. I feel better about using Jared Goff than Tyrod Taylor uh, this week. And I hope I hope that Tyrod Taylor rebounds and gives us something where we can look to use him in weeks after this one. He's home against the Chiefs, so maybe we get a shootout there. Maybe we get opportunities. He also faces a tough matchup. The Chiefs are solid on defense, so it could be a tough week and yet still give us decent Tyrod play uh, beyond that. From Twitter, JDP1073 wonders if we should play A.J. Green tonight, and I say yes. I'm playing A.J. Green tonight. I think he's I don't have the rankings up in front of me. I think he's around uh, wide receiver 24 in the draft sharks rankings. I understand that it's not the comfiest thing, but I'm not scared of the matchup for AJ green against Denzel Ward and the Browns tonight. I'm going to go ahead and give him a shot while he's healthy. Uh, This is what we drafted him for in hopes of using him. And there's no sign that AJ green is hurting from week one. So I would go ahead and use him. Obviously it depends a bit on who you're comparing him with. But I think A.J. Green is usable on Thursday night against Cleveland. A little further down, who should I start? We've got Godwin, Sammy Watkins, Darius Slayton, A.J. Green, Scotty Miller. This is a tough one. So for now, we throw out Chris Godwin because we assume that he's going to be out for now. You know, we'll see over the weekend if that changes. So Sammy Watkins, Darius Slayton, A.J. Green, Scotty Miller. Again, if my results differ from what you see in the Draft Sharks rankings, then go with what we end up saying collectively. But from Xavier Lake on YouTube, I like Slayton, Green, and Miller over Watkins this week. I think that the Chargers are a tougher matchup than what he faced, much tougher matchup than what he faced with Houston on Thursday night. So I would be hesitant to play Sammy Watkins this week. Slayton, A.J. Green, Scotty Miller are the top three I like A.J. Green first among that group because I think he's the best bet for targets. And then I lean Scotty Miller over Darius Slayton. Chicago, you know, remains a solid defense, especially at cornerback. We'll see about Darius Slayton. We'll also see about whether Golden Tate's playing in that game. So I think that's going to change the outlook a bit by the weekend as we see uh, whether Golden Tate is back to factor into the target picture. So, you know, obviously plenty of upside to Darius Slayton after last week. And if he were on my team, I would have trouble sitting him. I can't say that if I were actually making the decision in my own lineup that I would definitely play Scotty Miller over him. But matchup wise, I think Scotty Miller has a slight edge over Darius Slayton. And a a healthy A.J. Green is just the best player there. So I think I'm leaning A.J. Green. Will Elwood on YouTube asks whether to start DK Metcalf or Kareem Hunt. I'm going to go ahead and start DK Metcalf. I know it's a tough matchup against New England's corners, but I mean, we saw what Russ did when he was cooking last week. It's tough for me to sit him for Cleveland's second running back. Kareem Hunt had a good week one. 
I wonder how much of his usage was them playing from behind. I don't know. I mean, we're waiting to see on that. We have one game of Kevin Stefanski Browns to go on so far. So we'll see what week two looks like. There's certainly upside to the matchup. So if you want to take a shot that Kareem Hunt gets the ball enough and you want to avoid that New England matchup, then I can understand going Kareem Hunt. I think it's close enough to make your own call. My lean would be toward the um, Russell Wilson receiver and DK Metcalf. And then one more before we finish up, Tom Brady, Cam Newton, or Teddy Bridgewater from our boy John here again. Teddy Bridgewater would be the first one I would throw out. He's on the road against Tampa. Uh, Tampa looked good at times, at least. They ended up allowing plenty of points. You know, you throw out the interception return for a touchdown. It was still nearly 30 points allowed on defense to New Orleans. But they look good on defense overall. They held Drew Brees under 200 passing yards in that game. So I'm not betting on Teddy Bridgewater on the road against that group. So it comes down to Tom Brady versus Cam Newton. I'm going to lean Tom Brady over Newton. Uh, He is home. He's playing a weak Carolina secondary. I mentioned the passing numbers for Derek Carr earlier in this. He basically, he completed 73% of his passes. He had a passer rating well over 100, eight yards per pass attempt. So I I think that Tom Brady is just a little bit safer bet. Cam Newton did all we could have hoped for in week one, scored the two rushing touchdowns. We know that he remains a rushing threat. That's what we hope for from Cam Newton. But you know, counting on rushing touchdowns is tough. And we're still kind of waiting to see what the Patriots passing game looks like. So I would lean toward Tom Brady as a safer option this week in a terrific matchup at home, certainly upside to both players. And that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. You can head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out our week two rankings, which we update for injury situations and developing news throughout the week. So make sure you check them again over the weekend before you finalize your lineups. Jared and Tyler will be back for me with me tomorrow for our pair of DFS podcasts. So you can listen to more than just my voice on those. You can also find all of us on Twitter. We are at Draft Sharks. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with me.